What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. Once again, giving you your quarantine uh, pop culture check-in this week. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, I want to start off the show today with just a general check-in. How are you doing, man? Difficult times, man. It's not a not fun, not a good weekend, uh, really terrible time in our country, and it's uh, tough to reflect on a frivolous things like the entertainment industry that's what we're normally going to do but yeah it's hard to uh, focus on that this time it's it's not good yeah um yeah talking about tv and and music today not no movies but usually we'd be talking movies as well feels just a bit i don't know uh, unimportant and it is you know in, in general this is a distraction for us hopefully a distraction for other people getting uh getting you all engaged in conversation around things that are not nearly as important as the societal issues, um, specifically, you know, for the, the Black and African American community right now, and people of color around the nation who are protesting against um, systemic racism within the criminal justice system and police brutality all throughout the country. You know, kind of sparked by this uh, most recent murder of George George Floyd, but very high profile murders of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery over the last couple months, as well as, you know, I, I keep thinking about that, that uh, video of that guy in the park with the lady with the dog and her calling the cops on him, you know, and yep. it's not, not nearly to the same level as obviously murder. Cause luckily that, that man did not die, but seeing how that woman reacted and, and the fear that that man had to live with in that moment, knowing that he was, you know, just being black in America could potentially die for asking someone to leash their dog when the dog's supposed to be leashed. Um, you know, it's it's hard to find the words to say a lot of the time. And I think I just, uh, during this time, find myself wanting to just listen, listen to the experiences of those who are speaking out and, and sharing their experience, doing my own, you know, reading um, and research on, on how to be a better ally for these communities and, and checking my own unconscious biases in all these situations and just working to be better in general, um, trying to advocate and, and speak out when I can use, use my own privilege. Um, Cause luckily uh, I, I can do that. I can speak up um, and, and not be afraid that I'm going to be, you know, reprimanded or, or I don't have to be afraid of a cop for my skin color. So I don't know. It's kind of where I'm at. How about you? Yeah. I just been thinking, um, People should stay mad, you know? Mm -hmm. Once tensions die down, don't just uh, go back to normal because uh, it's going to happen again. You should stay mad, understand the problem, and do everything you can to uh, help try and fix something that's systemic. And that's more than just voting. That's more than just sharing something that sounds nice on your Instagram story. Uh, It's more than that. And it's inconvenient and uncomfortable, especially when you're white. And... Uh, you just got to get over that and we got to move forward and we will see what happens regarding the specific uh, officers in question regarding George Floyd. If that doesn't go well, I don't have a uh, high hopes that something's suddenly going to change, but if that doesn't go well, we might be right back here in a few months or a year, whenever that happens and we'll see then. But in the meantime, stay mad and uh, get involved. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, it's, it's hard to transition to anything from this and especially to transition to little boat three. So we're just, <laughs> we're just going to do it. We're just going to jump into it. But uh, to any of our listeners, if, if you're feeling heavy and, and you're a loyal listener, you don't want to check in this week, that's fine by us. Feel free to reach out if you need, you have our Twitter. I think you see both of us on Twitter. If you need, I know I, I'm, I'm willing to hear you out or listen at this time if you need. So feel free to, to check in with us. Um, but yeah, Yachty dropped a new album, Dave. Little Boat Three. Uh, <laughs> how, how how are we feeling about this Little Yachty album? It's it's fun. I'm, I'm laughing because I did not expect to be talking about this today, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is where quarantine has gotten us, where we're, we're <laughs> going back to the well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, to Yachty's credit, he was out there in Atlanta peacefully protesting. Uh, I believe alongside some other uh, famous people, he was. I believe he was with Malcolm Brogdon of the NBA for Jalen Brown. I forget who he was with, but he was with other people. And that's, that, that's, that's something really cool to see because this is Yachty's album release week. You know, he should be all about his bag, promoting his music during an already hard time to promote oneself, obviously with quarantine, but he wasn't, he didn't really give a shit. And I respect that. And uh, yeah, little boat three, man, we didn't talk about the last mixtape he dropped. Nothing to prove the second one in 2018. It was a lot like the first one in 2018, Little Boat 2, which we did talk about. And, um, you know, come to this point, I think Yachty is someone where I just appre- I generally appreciate Yachty's presence and uh, charisma as like a personality and brand more than I do most of his music. But I think after listening to Little Boat 3, I, there, there are things to like about Yachty. And he's had some decent features of late. I think he's truly like right now still a, a less is more artist. I think he goes a longer way when he's collaborating with people on his own songs or he's a guest on someone else's song. But yeah, sometimes Yachty, it's uh he doesn't stand out when he's on his own and doing the uh, full on quality control trap music that he does sometimes. It's just, it, it's nothing special. You know, it's like you're on the same label as Migos. You don't have to try and make some Migos songs because that's not your strength. So yeah, it depends what he's doing. Yachty, he's always been hit or miss. Yeah. You know, I, with Yachty, it's listening to this album. I feel like the times I appreciate him most is mostly when he's doing the hooks for his for the songs, but not necessarily when he's doing the verses. Uh, I think, kind of like you said, the less is more a, a bit with him. And um, the songs that I, I really found myself enjoying on this, and I, I thought there were some some decent moments. Obviously, TD is a standout. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but like Oprah's bank account when he's just when he's just kind of grooving on that hook and he just sounds really good um and allowing drake to kind of you know shine on this i I think that's when he's at his best um some of these other moments like i don't know uh i I found a lot of it i guess just forgettable in a lot of senses Mm -hmm. i think that's the that's the thing is um he doesn't vary it enough uh, he doesn't vary these songs up enough in my opinion to make anything really stand out and I don't see him as like the type of lyricist where he's just going to be able to get by on his bars. So it's really going to have to be the catchiness. And uh, when everything sounds the same, or at least that's kind of how I felt about it, um, it just kind of left me feeling meh. What, what, what stood out to you, if anything, on this? Yeah, I think Oprah's bank account is kind of like the perfect distillation of what we want from Little Yachty, where that is a melodic hook from Yachty. It's a funny, airy sentiment, the song. The music video, which is a long video, it's hilarious, where he's literally dressed up as Oprah 
and when he's interacting with Drake and the baby as themselves and he does this I think my favorite part is at the end where he's like talking to the baby and he's like when you say let's go where are you going like like I think he's a really self-aware guy and sometimes it really comes across in the music I think Oprah's banking account is, is a great example of that and that song is doing really well for him and I think that makes a lot of sense uh so that, and that, that that's like the clear highlight in terms of like his strengths but mm-hmm. he really got some great features on TD, didn't he? Asaf Rocky, yeah. uh, Tyler the Creator, and Tira Wack. Uh, that, that, that was quite unexpected. I liked that a lot. And if 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 I was going to tell you he's going to get those three on a track with him, who who would your money have been on to really crush it? Probably Tyler or Asap. It's like Run Away. But no, Tira Wack bodies that track. Like she <laughs> comes on at the end and just is like an absolute jolt of lightning. It's it's unbelievable. And I, I just feel like it just made me want to go back and listen to her stuff again <laughs> after hearing yeah. that. Um, I wanted to go back and just re- run through Whack World. I mean, it's only 15 minutes, so we can do that very quickly. Um, but I, I can't wait to hear more from her. So th- this, this track of nothing else got me excited for Tierra Wax album whenever that's coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, other than that, like I thought Pierre Bourne's beat on a uh, Range Rover sports truck was awesome. Just out there like a uh, Pierre beat mm-hmm. is, but and little keyed actually I thought sounded pretty good, but Yachty's hook was super repetitive and dull, so kind of song kind of falls apart there. Yeah, I mean like and there's there's moments where he's like fine, like on split whole time, like the second single, he's mm-hmm. fine on that, and like Black Jesus stuff like that. But you know, I'd rather listen to some of his recent guest spots. I think he's pretty consistent with that. Uh, Get it bussin' the Tato song, he's awesome on that. Um, Crunky Dead Mob, the Duke Deuce uh, remix. Yachty, I think, is really cool. He 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 actually has good couplets once in a while and almost like interesting flows. It just doesn't seem to come across on a lot of his own songs. It's usually when he's a guest. So I don't I don't know why that is, but he's kind of consistent with that, right? His best moments on stuff like Broccoli and I Spy and Mixtape by Chance. That that's kind of been his MO from the whole time. He always seems to shine on other people's songs. But and heck, he wrote uh, Act Up for City Girls. So like he can write a good trap song. He just doesn't seem yeah. to make him well for himself for whatever reason. So yeah, it's it. you know, shout um, out Lil Yachty. Only well, still only twenty two. That that's actually pretty crazy. He's only twenty two. There's so much room for him to to grow and maybe try some things. I, I feel like he's kind of destined to fall into that like two chains like lane though. You know where he just kind of drops in sometimes and will either sing like crazy hooks that are really catchy or have these moments where he just kind of like comes on a track and it's just this breath of fresh air. But I never go back to a two, two chains album really like some, and we've reviewed some two chains albums so that some of it's pretty good, but for the most part, I just see him as like a, you know, a role player in a lot of ways. I feel like the kind of in that same lane, but maybe I'll be wrong on that. We already, put uh one of the songs td which we talked about onto our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist so check that out on spotify give us a follow if you like you know speaking of those those people who are like bit players i don't see freddie gibbs in that lane because i see freddie gibbs as just top-notch rapidy rap um and dropping this newest uh album alfredo with the alchemist um or Alchemist, I guess the producer, uh, man, this was a, just a delight to listen to, in my opinion. It was kind of funny. I listened to this b- before I listened to Little Bo, and I f- should have just flipped those uh, because 
this was such a, a such a more pleasurable listen but it was also nice to kind of go back and revisit these after listening to a little boat which i was kind of just like bored by and i found this to be really engaging and, and just smooth like i felt like this album was just really really smooth um really blending i think that like uh soulful jazzy hip-hop sound with what freddie gives does best which i think is just delivering bars <laughs> like all over this album uh how are you feeling about alfredo yeah i agree i think freddie's talent's pretty well known at this point as just a technical master mm-hmm. you know he's been doing this for so long he's like i think he's in his late late 30s at this point and he's been at it a long time usually mainly as an independent artist so we kind of know what to expect from freddie and he's also collaborated with Alchemist before. Him and Currency's collab album, Fetty, from 2018, uh, was produced all by Alchemist. And I think this time, once again, you know, this is 10 just really choice Alchemist beats. And Freddie meshes really well with that. And mm. he's just really introspective yet blunt with his lyricism, which I've always really liked. And yeah, I don't know if there's really any skips on this. 10 songs, 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, definitely worth multiple listens. And he also has a, a bunch of great guest spots from Rick Ross and mm-hmm. Conway and Benny the Butcher from Griselda, Tyler Creator. Uh, shit sounds great. Yeah, Scotty Beam was a song written or, or a song that sounds like it was actually just made for Rick Ross to feature on. Like it, it feels almost like it, it can be paired with Devil with a New Dress really well, which <laughs> I think we, we've talked about a bunch of times is probably my favorite Ross feature ever. Um, but yeah, just the way that this album kind of glides together, tracks kind of run into each other. Um, and the way that the features all feel just very much in place i was really impressed with just the way that this was crafted um and i also really dug and probably because we just finished the last dance there were a lot of like 80s uh references and uh, kind of running like bowls refer- references throughout there's a michael jordan re- i think line in either god is, no in 1985 the first track there's a, a line about uh Jordan, I think there's a line about Scotty Pippen in one of the songs too, and it just felt like he was really pulling from some some earlier sound on, on this and some earlier references. So I dug that. Any tracks that really stood out to you or that you felt were particularly good? Yeah, so I really liked Scotty Beam as well. Mm-hmm. I thought Frank Lucas was awesome, really, mm-hmm. really well titled. Yeah. Uh, track name, of course, shout American Gangster, and <laughs> Benny really really fit well. All the guests really fit well and tyler i thought was really funny on something to rap about mispronouncing mykonos and then catching that at the end what do you say the beat sounds like the boat i haven't bought yet yeah Uh, just the natural hilarity that tyler can bring really (laughs) easily effortlessly yeah i mean there's really no skips they're all great they're all great yeah this is a great album um i would you say best hip-hop album of the year Ooh, yeah probably it's up there for me i think so um trying to think my favorite stuff this year has been this chef g and yeah i mean i I know uh conway dropped uh lulu early this year which we haven't didn't review which was also produced by alchemist um everyone really liked that we didn't review that um yeah i think so this is probably the best right now blame it on baby up there too for you (laughs) 
Uh, Rockstar might go number one in a week or two, but no, blame it on baby is not up there. <laughs> Check that yeah. review. Um, it's uh, it's it's been I feel like a lighter year hip hop wise. I feel like there's a lot of like young and up and coming mm-hmm. uh, rappers that put out a lot of. My most work. listened to is Eternal Take. Obviously, that's yeah. That'll be my most listened to for sure. But like, you know, Sugar, we like a lot of that from Megan. Mm-hmm. Jay Alec was a event more than something anyone's going to revisit. Yep. Uh, Little Baby's My Turn is hella overrated. We did not like Eminem. <laughs> uh, we didn't need a Little Wayne's a millionth album. Like Future, yeah. we could pass on that. Um, oh, I guess Pop Smoke, Meet the Boo 2, earlier okay, in the year. Yeah. And Polo G, I love Polo G. So mm-hmm. yeah, those are pro- that's probably it. Waiting for that that yearly uh, Brockhampton album to drop, and it's bring coming. us the, the the goods. But yeah, I think uh, Alfredo. Also, Dave, explain the title real quick. Yeah, so funny. So I had someone point this out to me. Alfredo. We have the Alchemist and Freddie Gibbs. Alfredo, Al and Fred. How about that? Super uh, simple yet effective. Yeah, I did not get it either, but definitely <laughs> a, a great album title and a great album. So it's fitting. Uh, another album that I, I was really impressed with, unsurprisingly, was Lady Gaga's Chromatica. Um, you know, when, when Gaga over the last couple of years has really kind of like taken a, a shift within her, her public persona and just her musical style. You know, she released, um, was it Joanne? Uh, back in... 2016 2016 now wow the fall um and then obviously a star is born which i don't know if we'll say is like a gaga album necessarily but it it basically is like her on most of the tracks yeah yeah i mean the star is born songs like shallow and some of the other popular ones they did fit along with where gaga's career arc was going with joanne right like she left that first Mm -hmm. phase of the dance pop after art pop brief detour at Tony Bennett aside, we have Joanne <laughs> and the star is born, which is more subdued music, much more acoustic music mm-hmm. and trying to be more introspective as well. And I think those are, and Joanne in particular is probably an album that was, I think over criticized at the time because it was different. Like I think there's, there's, there's highlights on that, even if it's uneven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it kind of gets a rep for being like a miss because it wasn't super popular, relatively speaking, for Gaga standards. Right. But either way, you know, Chromatica starting, as soon as we heard that first uh, first single, Stupid Love, you could tell that this was a, ha- a hashtag, quote unquote, return to form for Lady Gaga. You know, she's been in the game like 12 years at this point, so she can have that kind of career arc now. Yeah. And it is, it is, it is cool to see her go back to uh, dance pop and, how dance pop has changed from between now and 2009 but i don't know if it's uh quite as a return to everything she used to do so it's a yeah. it's an interesting album i've been thinking about it a lot no I, I definitely have ran it back a couple of times um you know it's it's the sort of thing where i feel like i catch something new every time and it's also i think interesting how gaga picked and cho- chose the features on this and also kind of crafted this i felt like uh, and this was a, a critique I saw on Pitchfork that I thought made a lot of sense that, you know, it's kind of split up into three phases, but I'm not sure if the sequencing of the tracks makes a lot of sense. It, it, it is produced in a way where everything kind of bleeds into each other and the tracks transition really well, but just it's, it feels a bit uneven at times. And I think there's parts of the album that are just 
so memorable and then parts that are very light in my in terms of the songs that rise to the top for me on this but overall i was just uh really struck with how much this brought me back to like mid 2000s dance edm <laughs> like this is like mm-hmm. there's a lot of house on here and um if you look through the producer list there's a ton of edm artists skrillex Medion, a couple of the guys from uh swedish house mafia are all over this um so there, there's a lot of influence throughout this. so it makes sense that it, that it would sound like this but man i i guess i just was not totally expecting it to be this much of like a, a I don't know, breath of 2005 for me. Right. I think that, that that's the key distinction is like you said, all that house, this, this Euro pop, mm-hmm. this, um, you know, reminded me, it, the first thing I thought I was like, this is, what is this, David Guetta? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like, it's like, it's clearly like a relic of EDM. It does not sound like any modern electronic music at all. And I mean, the biggest collaborator producer wise would be blood pop. Who's yeah. on like, two thirds of the songs, I think. And she'd worked with him before he's worked with everyone in pop really. And um, yeah, that, that seems to be the muse on this one. Max mm-hmm. Martin does pull up for one, one little jaunt songwriting wise on stupid mm-hmm. love. That's their first collab actually. But yeah, blood pop seemed to be the main architect of this. And it's interesting. Cause again, dance pop, I'd say is popular, but this isn't very different than Dua Lipa, which is a much, mm-hmm. I think lighter airier dance pop that is much more happy like gaga despite this production there's a lot of uh you know still introspection and and negative themes on chromatica uh you know i think she's gotten much more open about her past trauma being abused at a young age and stuff like that that's definitely coming through on here Uh, it's it's definitely darker than what some of her contemporaries have been doing of late but um yet I was disappointed in one aspect of this because I wanted it to be, and this is just my own my own issue with expectations, but I was wanting it to be more like Gaga, more weird, more strange. Mm. Like my favorite era of Lady Gaga is obviously like the fame, fame monster. I yeah. love that shit. And she, she's kind of wacky on a lot of those songs too, right? And this, you know, I mean, now she's in her like mid thirties. There's like, I think she was like 34 or whatever. She's had a lot more experience, but it almost seemed like she kind of played it safe on this, which is which is really strange to say about something that sounds like it's 10 years old production-wise. Mm-hmm. But that was just kind of how I felt about it, you know? And in a sense, that is disappointing. But I still think there's a lot of good highlights on this and, and cool moments. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I think one of the one of the highlights is probably rain on me, which is weird because it, it's a song that's so triumphant and uh, dancey and it's supposed to be like, like, like a drag anthem, a pride anthem, like born this way. Yet it's like what track four track three or something. Yeah, it really feels cool. like that would have been a great song to sequence at the end of chromatica. Yeah. Yet it comes so early and it, it's kind of a landmark song though. I think yeah. that it's it, it, it debuted at number one today. First week. It, but the the crazy thing to me is, you know, Lady Gaga, I see as, in my opinion, probably the best pop artist from the last two decades, just in terms of art, uh, the way she's been able to vary her sound and execute in all Absolutely. these different ways. And also the way that she's gone from being this, 
person who kind of had to have a gimmick in a sense that she was this like weirdo who dressed weird and her music videos were so out there and has been able to recapture her identity and which was a struggle for her and that she's openly talked about and, and just really wonderful her story um but she gets bodied on that track by ariana that, that that's an ariana grande song in my book and that that's the thing is like well, it was, good for me it was just weird to hear it because they don't really harmonize at all no like this is a supposed to be a landmark clash of the titans for pop right you have the little monsters and the arianators joining forces to stand the fuck out of this song and it's again it went number one it's mm-hmm. very popular but it's like here's the gaga part here's the ari part gaga Rain ari they, they, on me like, right. that, that's that's the gaga part like l- let me hear you belt it out let's go toe to toe right and like i think towards like the end like the the choruses at the end it's a little they, they harmonize a little bit but it, it kind of just feels like it's mixed together i really don't yeah. think they record this together um, but yeah, I think Ari really does body it. Like even on the outro, yeah. the outro of the song, she sounds awesome too. And that's a really cool video. Um, this is mm-hmm. definitely a dancey song. This song will be around a long time, and it's actually pretty notable because it's the uh, uh, it's Gaga's fifth number one, Ari's fourth, but it, it's a debut at number one versus rising up the charts, and it's putting Ari in some really um, esteemed company in terms of actually doing that all the time. And I think Gaga now sets the record for like length of time between debuting at number one. It's like nine <laughs> years now or something. So obviously records change all the time with streaming. Right. And uh, I think Rain On Me is obviously still a win. And where I was disappointed with the other big super moment would be Sour Candy, which is the collab with the Blinks, mm. Blackpink. Yeah. And I mean, that flips uh, what they say which has been sampled by a million popular songs like truffle butter, for example. Mm -hmm. But like, that's a song that's really just a black pink song for the first 90 seconds. And then Lady Gaga shows up and it's also kind of, again, their safe song. It's not black pink doing anything that wild. Like they've done before on their biggest songs. So that was another weird one for me. Yeah. I I didn't think uh, sour candy works so well. And actually when I think about the duets in terms of what worked, I think her with Elton John on, um, sign from above is actually the the guest that kind of comes on and, and Gaga works the best with and they, it's I think obviously they have a, a better working relationship I think Ellen John is like her godfather or something like that yes um, something like that. which is it's kind of crazy but they, I think they had really good chemistry in that song I think that song sign from above is one of my favorites except for the breakdown at the end felt really strange and out of place but the rest of the song is unassailable to me I think it's a really strong so that's a weird one because that has like the most producers and most co-writers of any song on the track list. And it definitely felt cobbled together for me, but for the most part, I think it works and I do like how it sounds. Um, I think for, for me, the highlights are probably some of the, the, the solo tracks though, Enigma and replay and then 911 and plastic doll. Those two mm-hmm. one, two punches during the track list really stood out for me. And it's funny Replay had this really weird moment for me of pointing with melody where when Gaga's voice starts to build, I think when she's getting to the chorus for the first time, I immediately was taken back to Scar singing to the hyenas in the Lion King. Oh shit! I was like, I don't know why that's where it got to me, <laughs> but just like the way her, like, you know, she, she's just a dynamic voice and she can like mm-hmm. really effortlessly like sh- demonstrate a lot of range in the middle of a track. And the way she did, it just reminded me of when Scar's, um, 
singing what is it uh be prepared right yeah like when, oh, when, yeah. He's, when he's building up to be prepared in that song i was like wait why why is this the vibe i'm getting but i don't know maybe she'd find that as a compliment because that that's weird i don't know <laughs> uh it, it's funny as you were kind of listening to these one two duos you didn't even list the one that was probably my favorite standout which i think actually speaks to just the strength of the album overall but i really enjoy free woman and, and fun tonight i think that right in the middle actually going back to that sequencing critique would have made a lot more sense like at the end to have those um but it, you know I, I think it's important one for us to acknowledge uh, happy pride month to all of you know the people out there who celebrate pride month and this album was basically made yeah for pride month like this there's is some, there's some drag anthems in this yeah and, and it's weird because this is probably the gonna be the most subdued pride celebration in a couple of years only because of the current covid situation and possibly because of the the protests i'm not sure if that will impact it at all but this feels like gaga could have just been like everywhere during pride month and now it's probably going to be a little bit subdued but still um yeah i i think there's so many tracks on here that even the, the last two like babylon's a little strange to me but 1000 doves i think is a really strong chorus and, and hook and just uh, uh enjoyable listen so I, I think there's a lot to to really dig into here and kind of just par for the course with gaga you know what she puts out is always quality it's just about what level is it? is it top top gaga or we get in like mid-tier gaga which is still excellent right yeah, even art pop is like a, is a mess, but it's a beautiful mess and has yeah. like a smash like applause on it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So um, honestly, I think my favorite song though, the song I definitely listened to the most this weekend would be Alice, which is the first proper song on the album after the first interlude. Mm-hmm. And Alice is almost like a false flag because it gives this um, suggestion of like deep, deep house and. Mm-hmm. Um, really upbeat shit and only a few songs later you get fun tonight which spoilers is not about having fun but you know Alice I mean when, when she's like taking me to Wonderland I'm just like say, le- say less please like I'm with this this song goes Yeah. Um, so yeah there's a lot of good stuff on here and I mean it's funny this album was delayed I think seven weeks due to coronavirus which ultimately is not that big of a delay I was kind of expecting a much longer wait for this after the delay out of April mm-hmm. But she did reveal that she had a secret Coachella set planned, which would have been right around the release date. And obviously that's tough. And as you spoke to pr- the Pride Month implications. So um, it's definitely not what you wanted, but it's still going to debut number one for her. And Blackpink will get their highest charting song to date in the States. So that, you know, at the end of the day, still, it's still a major dub for Lady Gaga. I'm really happy with it. It is, but fuck 2020 for taking away that secret Gaga yeah uh performance i would have broken the internet uh i I agree um but you know definitely a great album we're gonna add we already have stupid love on the best of 2020 playlist we'll probably be adding one or two more um definitely uh close to if not in my top 10 uh of the year so far which we should probably do in a couple uh, weeks like our check-in of best albums and movies and tv of the year so stay tuned for that and I wonder if any of the TV shows we're about to talk about will be on there. And we're going to start with Mrs. America on FX. Uh, Phyllis, our girl Phyllis, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you know, so we, we spoke about the first episode of Mrs. America. Uh, actually, first couple of episodes. because I think they dropped the first three altogether, or at least within a couple of days. Yeah, they did. On Hulu. And... 
I think we were just really impressed with the cast telling the story of the fight for the ERA and the, the two opposing sides of it, kind of exposing details of the story that I think a lot of people probably were not aware of. Um, and I felt like that kept up throughout the series. I felt like the series was really well done. I do think there were a couple of, of moments at the end um, that I, I, I found to be peculiar, peculiar choices um, and, and, you know, kind of left me wanting a little bit more, feeling a little bit confused. But overall, I was really impressed with this miniseries. And uh, yeah, Kate Blanchett and Rose Byrne and uh, Sarah Paulson, all I thought gave just, fin- I actually think everybody else in this gave phenomenal performance. So no- nothing really too bad to say about it. How are you feeling about Mrs. America? Yeah. So yeah, nine episodes later, um, obviously it's, I think it's complete success. And the obvious flags that people wave in the beginning about the show having this loaded cast playing all these famous historical figures um that hype was worth it because as you said everyone is really good and the way this show is structured you know we're basically covering the whole 70s but we're going to these little flashpoints and all these major figures lives and their roles in the movement and in terms of the women's liberation movement in the 70s and while i've seen criticism that we got too much Phyllis Schlafly. Why couldn't we get more of some of the other people? I still, I really enjoyed how it was structured. And like, here's the, you know, Gloria Steinem folks episode. Here's the mm-hmm. Bella Abzug episode at the end, the Shirley Chisholm episode. Like it seemed to really get into what all these people were doing and what made them so different. And ultimately, you know, u- uniting history with drama on TV, it's not new. But having it be, I think, this educational and entertaining is really impressive. Like, this is definitely a show that inspires people to go on Wikipedia or just go on Slate and read about what's being portrayed episode to episode. For sure. I think that's, that's easier said than done. You know, you think of stuff like uh, American Crime Story, for example, has lent a lot to that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, FX in general is uh, was, was really good for this. But um, I think one of the underrated aspects would be is that when you're portraying feminism and the feminist movement, uh, it's not a united front the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Like they get into how Betty Friedan was not as uh, sympathetic to the plight specifically of lesbians yep. in feminism and how there's a lot of intersectionality and a lot of conflict within certain movements. That is not a new idea. That's still the case today with stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the way they highlighted that again, through history was, was, uh, was really effective. And when you're doing it with amazing attention to period detail, really impressive makeup and hair styling and great actors, you know, what's not to like. Yeah. You know, I, beyond the acting being really, really good, just seeing what the real life people looked like and compared to how they were made up in the show, was just really impressive. I mean, obviously I think uh, Phyllis Schlafly got uh, a bit of a glow up, uh, I think most people <laughs> played by Kate Blanchett are going to get a bit, of, a bit of a glow up in that sense. But um, like Margot Martindale uh, playing Bella Abzug, I felt like they looked very similar. And Margot Martindale, one of the best like female character yeah, actors. Absolutely of, fantastic. Just in this. Actors in general. Um, she was just great. Um, I thought Elizabeth Banks was good when, when she got some time to shine and kind of, I, I loved her, her showdown with Phyllis and, uh, kind of how she i think brought to light the, the 
the hypocrisy in Phyllis's <laughs> message. Yeah. Um, and I thought they did a really good job of using some of the characters that were written into the show, like Alice McRae, Sarah Paulson's mm-hmm. character, to highlight the the personal damage that the, this message had. And, and Phyllis's drive to uh, gain political power and, and sway had on the people around her. Um, I, I think my one critique, and I agree with the, I agree with your point about like the, I guess file episodes or, or the focused episodes on each character worked really well. I wish that Sarah Paulson's episode had come a little bit sooner because mm-hmm. I felt like it coming so close to the end of the series and not being about an actual person who was really at the forefront of this fight and more right. like a fictionalized character kind of made it feel like we got to the, the end too quickly. Like I wanted a little bit more time in those last couple episodes to focus on the other, what was going on with the other characters, but it might, may have also been just that um, kind of like the, the end credits set or like the post credits said the, uh, mm-hmm. the sway of, of the, the women's empowerment movement was never stronger than it was in the early 70s and the time frame that they're portraying Sarah Paulson's episode I believe is like mid 70s to late 70s so maybe there just was less story to tell with all these characters as they moved on to different different ventures in their life Um, but overall uh, I thought this was really well done Um, any particular episodes that stood out to you or that you just really liked oh interesting um I thought the Shirley Chisholm episode was great. Mm-hmm. Um, That's you know, what I was Ch- going to say. Yeah, I mean, so many of these people, they're, they're such titans, right? I, I mean, I, I really liked uh, uh, Ari Gaynor playing Brenda, Brenda Fagan when we see her yeah. um, to, to debate with her husband, but also, you know, getting into, I think, uh, another another alley way within feminism and, and, mm-hmm. and what was like at that time in terms of... Uh, uh, sexuality, sex, sexuality, and monogamy, and stuff like that. You know, um, I like the Betty Friedan episode. I think Tracy Ullman was did a, a really great job. And when we have the debate uh, with Phyllis again, which really mm-hmm. happened, you can see a different debate of theirs on YouTube right now, not the one we saw on TV. Um, the, the the way I think the way this a lot of these characters were able to, I think, espouse the ideals of what was going on at the time. In like really, I think natural dialogue that made sense. I, I didn't really have an episode I disliked. Um, yeah, I, I did like the Sarah Paulson episode at the end, at the, at the, when we actually get to the women's conference, the the largest oh, yeah. gathering of women in America to at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And along those lines, you know, I thought Kaylee Carter, who I really liked in Private Life, she played Pamela, another fictional character, and mm-hmm. I think Pamela and Alice together. Yeah, I guess in a sense they're like audience avatars, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think the purpose of Alice is to present us with how the Phyllis Schlafly fight helped realign the political parties and and yeah. make the modern conservative movement we know today. She kind of points out some of the tactics that are very familiar to us now in terms of <laughs> misrepresenting facts mm-hmm. and just basically saying stuff that's not true and really doubling down on rhetoric first and foremost. A lot of things are very familiar to us at this point. And you see Alice kind of raising an eyebrow to this, uh, uh, cozying up to uh, white supremacists or mm-hmm. other undesirable people because, well, they'll still help your cause if you uh, just let them do their thing out of your control kind of thing, you know? Um, I really appreciate that. And yeah. 
you know, you, you get a lot of like, like, like Jesse Helms is in the background of this show. That was a straight up segregationist Senator from I believe South mm -hmm. Carolina. Right. And in the end you get, uh, uh, Paul Manafort and Roger Stone showing up, which is what like, I think, believe the only cameo that Davi Waller said she wasn't able to verify actually happening. Like she didn't, mm. she couldn't confirm that Phyllis Schlafly met them, but they were on the rating campaign. So it might've been plausible. Every other cameo evidently was, was sourced. And Pretty crazy. Yeah. So I think there's a lot here. I've been recommending it to people. I think it's a, it was, it was really impressive. Yeah, no, I, I, can't speak highly enough for the show. I think this is a total triumph for FX on Hulu and uh, definitely a show that I, I think I would want to rewatch because I feel like there's so many little aspects of it that you can go back and catch right. little things again. So, I mean, uh, and there's people that just kind of pop in, right? Like Elizabeth Banks has a relatively small uh, presence on the show as was it Jill uh, mm -hmm. Ruckelhaus, I believe his name is. Yep. Uh, Nacy Nash is Flo Kennedy. She's just kind of in the background mm -hmm. of a few episodes, but another there's so many important figures that we just get a little bit of a taste of, but that's because this was a show that was so, you know, so wide, widespread, you know, and Rose Byrne actually also really impressed me. She's someone I've always really liked, mm -hmm. but never really was wowed by before. She's just been good generally for a while now. Um, I thought she was really, really nailed like the Gloria Steinem yeah. cadence and obviously the hair was, was so perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so Ah, uh, yeah, man. Uh, also, shout out the term "libbers." That always made me laugh. You know, <laughs> such a yeah uh, uh, product of the time, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it it was definitely um, I don't know, enlightening, but also scary to see that that cycle and the way that the messaging was so similar to certain messaging that yep. we see today. Um, yeah, you know, on a weekend, which we already kind of prefaced where things were already pretty heavy, that final episode, those final couple episodes I watched this weekend when there really was portraying that message kind of coming to light and, and taking shape. I was just like, oh, man, it's just like, uh, I need a bit of a, a palate cleanser. I did not get that palate cleanser with Killing Eve, Dave. Uh, Killing Eve season three, we, wa we watched the first episode or two and, and talked about it. And, you know, we, we, we kind of said season one uh, masterclass in tension, TV making, relationship, you know, kind of uh, cat and mouse uh, type relationship mm -hmm. on TV. Season two kind of got away from that a bit. And, and I think we felt like the show was kind of losing its direction and, and relying, I think, too much on Jodie Cummer just being absolutely stunning to watch as a villain now. In season three, I do think there's more to like here in terms of we get a lot more character development and they're building out the world a bit more. You know, it, the first two seasons were so Eve focused, even Villanelle focused that to, to get some, uh, some time with, with Caroline, to get some time with Constantine, um, I think really helped to, to build out the show. But I still felt like there was so much going on so many pieces to this puzzle and the pacing just felt all over the place at times. And I, I just found myself feeling like this was really disjointed season, even if it did have some really good moments, I thought, how are you feeling about season three of killing Eve? Yeah, I agree. I think the narrative is just kind of off the rails right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be invested in. And it's not as bad as something like say run, which really never established uh, your goalposts and what you should care about. Right. But in the case of Killing Eve season three, 
as you said, we are kind of jumping around a lot. And I did like that. And I think moment to moment, the show is genuinely, uh, generally pleasurable because we have good acting and we're on all these different settings and locales around the world. It's fun to look at usually. But what's actually like going on, what the characters are actually doing, sometimes doesn't make sense. Sometimes it just feels contrived. And I think a big part of that for me has been Eve, which is a character that I've struggled with, like the purpose and direction of since we got away from the killing Eve part in season one, quote unquote. Um, and I think Jodie Comer, obviously really great. I think when, when Villanelle's killing stuff, it's people, it's still fun. <laughs> and there's a lot of great settings once again, or really all, all throughout Europe. But, you know, the Carolyn development, the Constantine development, I don't know. I don't really know if I, if I care about that much. Like, yeah. but like Carolyn's relationship with uh, Yara Greyjoy, Emma Whalen <laughs> pulling up, like I thought that was quite flat, really yeah. drawn out. Um, and Constantine's thing with, with it, with his kid a little better, but was it? <laughs> I prefer, I, I liked killing Eve most when season one, because it's, it's a flip on that spy genre. Right. You have all these touchstones of the spy genre with jet setting around Europe, the cat and mouse aspect, right? And you're flipping with some obvious things. We're modernizing it. It's a female assassin. There's some heteronormative things not present, right? Mm-hmm. But we're just kind of in the weeds and the weeds aren't that fun. <laughs> like, like uh, there's a lot of new characters. I wrote them all down. We got Dasha. who's probably the best of them. Yara Greyjoy's a miss. The MI6 boss who gets killed by Carolyn at the end, completely worthless. Yep. All the reporters, I, I kind of like them, but because they're mainly connected to Eve, their, their, their usefulness kind of wanes for me. And Elena, I thought Elena was interesting, but you know, not, we don't get a whole lot of her, so it's tough to make a big impression. You know so, what I think left me really aggravated with this season was there were a couple of moments when you felt like they were really going to do something to shake the show up, right? Were they going to kill off Caroline in episode mm. three or four? Right. Was Constantine going to just die all of a sudden? And was, how was Villanelle going to then deal with that? Like the only father figure, the only parental figure she's ever really had all of a sudden really being out of her life. And the show did the, the the classic thing that we always criticize shows for is that they they fake you out with it right so they they say like you know the Villanelle walks up to the car shoots and she kills the guy in the back seat the uh, yes 12 uh, guy but y- you think for a second Kruger. caroline's dead and i really was like oh shit mm-hmm. like what the like this is really going to be like a a plot mover and, and something that's gonna really push even Villanelle's relationship in a different direction nope uh, she actually didn't kill Caroline and the guy's dead in the back. Caroline's fine. Um, uh, Constantine has a heart attack, doesn't actually die. Um, and Villanelle had to make a choice then. And uh, Eve is the one that saves him. Like, it's very strange. And like, just, uh, and even at the end, like if Caroline had killed Constantine, I would have felt like, okay, I feel like the show's taking some chances here. But in the end, it, it feels like what they really just set up was that, Eve was this person that was up here in season one. Villanelle's down here. 
season two kind of brings them a little bit more here, but now the show is just kind of flipping that that dynamic. And Eve is totally destructing as a human being, moving more into that socio-psychopath role. And you see Jodie Comer as Villanelle building out her her emotional and, and psychological maturity, um, which is just kind of like, I don't know. Does that, it doesn't feel like that's really what season one set up. Uh, I, I know that there was like that dynamic, but I guess mm-hmm. I just didn't expect the show to go this way. And it leaves me feeling a bit like, do I even want to really finish this ride? Um, it's, it's a slow ride too. I think that's the thing. Some of the episodes really dragged this season. I, I thought some of the bottle ones were good. Like, Villanelle going home and finding her family in Russia. I felt like that episode was actually pretty interesting. I never see Elton. <laughs> yeah, and there were there were some moments. Um, you know, like I really liked when Villanelle was kind of teaching that that guy how to be an assassin, and he totally messes mm-hmm. it up as the, the clowns. Clown like stuff, right? that 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 scene just in general, really really cool and like really funny. And and what a, a line from Villanelle, like management is hard, like <laughs> or management right. sucks or whatever. Like that that's great. But then there's a lot of moments where it's just like. Eve running around trying to solve this mystery with her friends in the newspaper and it just feels like whatever. Uh, going back to the, the no stakes, Nico gets stabbed through the, the throat by Dasha and doesn't die? I was like, uh, Nico has to die, man. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, God. I was so, so, so annoyed <laughs> with that, to be honest. It's like, <laughs> and even, even Dasha survives the double whammy of the golf club and Eve's boot right it's like you're just so resistant to to shaking things up it's just frustrating it's it's Mm -hmm. ultimately it's a show that's it's less than the sum of its parts there's still tons of things to like and tons of things that are done well and yet it's we're getting diminishing returns and that's frustrating we know we're getting a season four a new showrunner once again i don't necessarily blame the showrunners i just blame a uh it, it, it was hard to follow up season one which was mm-hmm. more, more and more presently uh, made clear that it was a self-contained thing. Yeah. Um, shout out the Barcelona scene when they're in the cable car over mm-hmm. the Barceloneta. I rode in that cable car last year, and I can tell you, it's never with just two people. It's a busy place, <laughs> but that was cool. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a, a bit disappointing, but I, I think uh, I'm hopeful that they can find some direction. I hope it's also not the sort of thing that they just keep renewing, like come up with an ending to it, find a direction to the show, find what yeah. you want to say and make it good. If, it, if this was on Showtime, we would have seven seasons no matter what. So I'm hopeful AMC, BBC America is a little more thoughtful. Jodie Comer still is bae. Love her. Can't wait to see her and more things moving forward. But let's talk about another actress that uh, I... I feel like it's had a bit of an up and down career, you know, and maybe we'll talk about that. I think we stand her for her music career a little bit more. And that's Janelle Monet, who stars in season two of Homecoming, the Amazon Prime miniseries, I guess not miniseries, like series, TV series. Uh, we reviewed season one, Julia Roberts, Stephen James, uh, Sam Eshmel directed uh, a good a good portion of the episodes, or at least was producing all of them. The he, he, he shot all of them. That's right. Um, and man, I think what we liked about, at least what I liked about Homecoming season one is it was, it was a story that I thought was pretty interesting and engaging. It wasn't a perfect season of television, but it, stylistically, it was just so encapsulating and gripping. And 
it, it kind of had this like love story, but also mystery at the heart of it. I, I thought it was just really a, a unique show. Season two has a unique structure, but I'm not sure it, it's there's something about it just didn't land as well with me. How are you feeling about season two? Yeah, I agree. I think homecoming season one had a lot of things to like made my top 10 2018. I think for good reason, because as you said, Sam S. Mile, by virtue of him directing it, you have this engaging, well-shot show that's very indebted to filmmaking of the past because Sam is that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And it's really great to look at. And the camera is uh, engaging, you know, with multiple POV shots and like split split cams and stuff. And it's, it, it's really cool. And Sam has always proven with Mr. Robot that he is a student of film past mm-hmm. and brings that into his work. And that's awesome. And he's able to do it well top of that show in general was just you know it was a throwback to like 70s paranoia thrillers it's a mystery Mm -hmm. but it's not a mystery box that we know of now it's not really about the mystery it's more about those vibes and heck even the score uh was lifted the needle drops were lifted from famous movies and and moments of the past season two we have an original score but i think for me with, with homecoming season two uh you know julie roberts is out janelle monae's in but like that core dynamic of season one between Roberts and James kind of drives the narrative. And again, not the narrative is too complicated or, or, or layered, but it's just like good enough and has just enough forward momentum to keep you interested and enjoy watching all the engaging things Sam is giving you and like just having that 70s vibe. And season two, I, I think, is trying to do that. It's just naturally not going to be done as well. Um, Sam is not directing these episodes. Julia Roberts uh, is not here anymore. Bobby Cannavale has a brief appearance. He's also gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Janelle Monet, but I also felt like her character just wasn't as strong as Heidi Bergman, who Julia Roberts plays. Uh, yeah. So it was. It, it's weird because you know another strength of Homecoming is that it's a thirty-minute drama. Pretty rare, but when it's done right, it, it, it's probably the best form of TV. Think of Atlanta. But this was a really small-scale story. And, it, and season two is to- told in a weird, out-of-order structure in terms of Janelle Monet's memory. But because we saw season one and we are familiar with what Geist has been doing and up to, nothing is really that surprising. And because the show isn't as successful at establishing those throwback vibes, because Sam isn't there, story's a little different, it's less fun to build up to some reveals that we kind of already see coming because we know what happened in season one. So I guess I would say I'd let down, but it, it, it's short enough that I think it's okay. It's, it's weird. It's like, an, it's like an addendum to season one, if anything, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it felt so much less grand than season one. Yeah, I, I agree. It definitely felt less grand. And I, I feel like maybe pacing is just the thing I'm, I'm stuck on today, but I also felt like just the structure of the season, um, and mostly the the dynamic of Janelle Monet's character, Alex, kind of you know figuring out the the mystery of of what happened to her, almost just like it felt like it took too long to get there. Like you kind of see where it's going by I think the third or fourth episode. You know, uh, even by the second one, I think you can kind of tell like something something happened where, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Sorry, Hong Chow's character asked her to help or, or something along those lines and Janelle Monet doing a favor and just turned bad. 
but it takes until the second to the last episode for that story to get completely told and then the last episode is Stephen James uh, kind of putting into action this plan to kind of get his revenge in a sense and uh, it just feels like that kind of comes together too quickly I wish there had been a little bit more time with Stephen James uh, individually because um, I feel like that character is the one I find the most engaging from both seasons. Yeah, I felt like his dynamic with Janelle Monet was when things really crackled the most on screen, you know, and even though Janelle Monet plays a, uh, a gay character or a, she may be bisexual, that's never really explicitly said, but she's in a, a gay relationship. Uh, it still felt like the chemistry between her and James is, is just like one of the things that I found yeah. really appealing about this season. So I wanted to see a little bit more of that or build that I don't know uh, dynamic out a bit I also felt like Joan Cusack I don't know she just didn't do it for me I didn't really find her great and it, it might just be I don't really I don't really dig her like I, so something about her just kind of takes me out of it sometimes I think I find her a bit goofy and that's not like anything that she's doing wrong I think it's just kind of how I see her mm-hmm. for some reason um but she definitely, I think, came across as, like, despicable, which is what that character is supposed to be, obviously. You know, like, the government coming in and turning everything to shit. Um, I found Hong Chao to play a really good, like, was she, like I guess, sociopath. <laughs> like, she just seems like she just gets a little taste of power and just, like, starts controlling everything. Her manipulation is incredible. So the performances are good. But I think just overall, the story was not as engaging to me um and for it to be kind of drawn on this mystery of what happened to alex slash jackie for so much of the season then to kind of speed things up just felt a little frustrating yeah i agree and i think that first episode janelle one waking up in a Mm -hmm. boat a rowboat with no oars in the middle of a lake and then she goes to that bar meets the guy with the uh oxygen tank goes to the hotel he kind of like betrays her like that was a really good first episode yeah, and we just kind of really got away from it and, and kind of left that momentum away. Um, I agree about Hong Chao. You know, she has that small role in season one as the guy's secretary. And then we kind of get like a pseudo stinger at the end of season one where she like put the clamps on Bobby Cannavale's character. And then we learn season two that she actually just kind of finessed the plug to pull that off. And she really was just a secretary. She wasn't this like overseer of Geist or anything. And I was like, wait a minute, this show's actually like about gaslighting the whole time. Because then we find about find out what Janelle Monet's character does in terms of being like a crisis manager for corporate companies yep. to mitigate political uh, for employee complaints, right? Mm-hmm. And then she tries to do that to Stephen James for other me- reasons, right? It's like, oh, wow, this is all about like people manipulating each other. This is kind of cool. But once we get into the memory loss stuff and the, the timeline, the, the, the incongruous timeline, it's like, got away from it again. You know, yeah. I, I like Joan Cusack more than you, but I would say her part just kind of underwritten, kind of one note. Uh, mm-hmm. She just doesn't have a whole, actually really a whole lot to do, just beyond kind of being a boogeyman in the background. Yeah. Similarly, she's most connected with Chris Cooper's character, who plays the actual Geist, the person who found the company. And you get his character, but he also was kind of underwritten, pretty, uh, uh, you know, I, I wish his involvement with Stephen James in that plot, as you said, if we got more of that, that was a little more flushed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would have been 
cool because of what it hit for both of those characters. But we don't get enough time with Geist to really understand what he's feeling beyond being defensive of his company in terms of like, you know, how the, the military stepping in. He, like he like right, he has like all this like disdain for the people that work for him and how his company is like really, I guess what opportunistic, I guess. Yeah. But they're just really brief moments where he's like talking to Hong Chao and other people. So yeah, it, 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 it's kind of a mismatch and it, it's like tonally it's trying to do what season one does, but I don't, I just, it, it definitely does not land quite as hard. One aspect that was different from the first season, like you already talked about was the, the score for this, you know, was all original. Uh, I felt like the score actually was one of my favorite parts. I felt like it was unique and really stood out and I felt like it really played well into each scene. So I do want to say that, but I feel like Eshmael's presence is sorely missed. I think it's pretty clear he took a, a big step back and probably just had his name attached to this. Same with Julia Roberts, obviously. So um, it seems like season three is coming. You know, because uh, nice. Stephen James is uh, setting out to, with a list of names, so something's probably going to come about there. Um, we'll see. Yeah, was it uh, Eli Horowitz and Micah Bloomberg who had the podcast to and then developed that for season one, and they, of course, wrote season two as well. They said to EW that they have ideas and we're working on season three, but it has not been officially announced yet. But I really see no reason that Amazon wouldn't bring the show back once again. Um, yeah. And... In a sense, it is cool that we'll probably shift POVs once again. You know, and I think, you know, short stints on TV uh, in the peak TV era are always what is appealing to big name actors we associate with film. That's how Julia Roberts was on the show in the first place. That's how Kate Blanchett got into Mrs. America. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't get something really exciting to fill a, a certain void in season three. Um, I'm curious if they bring back Stephen James, who kind of just gets like some catharsis for what his character goes through in season one so like i, like I don't know if we to. need i don't know if we need him to come back in terms of like there being any holes for his character to fill yet if we don't bring him back there's the not much line? of any connection to the first yeah. season second I, season i think if nothing actually uh, and I don't know if this is the way they're, they're going to go. I think season three could take a bit of a, le- a left turn and be a lot more action oriented. Cause it seems like he's going to tell the people on that list what happened to inform them of the treatment they got. And I feel like the government trying to cover that up and stop him and him, it could almost become like a born type thing where like he doesn't fully know his identity, but he has all these skills from the army type of thing. Right. I don't know. That, that That's like a hope for it, I think, but it, it would be a huge tonal shift to the show. So and for me i'm just trying to understand like does the company of geist have a presence moving forward i feel like we've kind of explored all this right Mm -hmm. like cooper mr geist he burns it to the ground metaphorically speaking and everyone else we have any relationship with at the company seems to be gone so and, when, and there's no there's no surprises about like those drugs that what they do we got that we 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 saw the faults of already understanding that too much in this season, so if we don't have Geist then it's just like what it's like the these these vets versus the the government like I I'm not sure I'm I'm not, I'm I'm just curious where they'll try and take it um, the creators did say to EW that they had a lot of different ideas so they're clearly uh, figuring it out but uh, I'll still give it a chance again thirty minute Same drama. Here. 
especially when they're willing to do less than 10 episodes, you know, it's I'm not with too it. much of an investment. So nah. no, and th- this is still good, good TV. It's not right. as good as season one, but it's still good. I wouldn't say this is like killing Eve season too bad. I think this is still engaging. So anyways, Dave, as we wrap up, what's next, what do we got for next week? We're going to get to space force on Netflix out <laughs> now, as well as the, Season finale of Betty on HBO. Shirley, the Elizabeth Moss Oscar contender, will be on Neon. Uh, from Neon will be on Hulu and VOD. I'm excited for that. That comes out on Friday. There's an EP from Flatbush Zombies. There's Run the Jewels 4, which yeah. is going to feel incredibly prescient given the current times. That Looking forward to that. And I'm also excited for uh, Yvonne Orgies debut stand-up comedy special on hbo of course from insecure so some good stuff coming up definitely some good stuff stay tuned uh stay safe out there that's the main thing we want to see you next week and the week after so do what you got to do to express yourself and and to uh, speak out for what you believe in but be safe catch you next week yeah.